Welcome to USURF Spotlight, a new series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we discuss major topics and issues in the news and explore how those issues are impacting religious freedom around the globe. Here is USURF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, leading this week's discussion. Welcome to USURF Spotlight. Today, we're gonna to talk about some of the most pressing religious freedom concerns that exist around the world and learn about some of the new multilateral entities that have been created in recent years to collectively address these challenges. We're also gonna hear some thoughts on what uh, should be the top priority issues uh, for the new Biden administration that they should consider as it formulates uh, its broader human rights and international religious freedom policy. To discuss these issues and more, we're fortunate to have Knox Thames with us, who is currently a senior fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement and a visiting expert at the United States Institute of Peace. Welcome, Knox. It's great to be here, Dwight. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And Knox worked for five years at the State Department until just last summer as the Special Advisor for Religious Minorities and both uh, during the Obama and Trump administrations. And before that, we actually served together for several years at USURF uh, before he left for state uh, in 2015. So Knox, from your perch at the State Department and now that you've been out of government for about six months, You've still been following religious freedom issues globally. Uh, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges around the world that a new administration uh, should be addressing in the year ahead? Well, that's a great question. And I really appreciate you, Surf, continuing to play this important role of, of trying to look over the horizon uh, about the next challenges coming up concerning religious freedom. And thinking about this question, I came up with five topics that I, I hope the new administration will, will focus on in a serious and significant way. The first challenge to religious freedom is China. Just it's its own category with what's happening to Uyghurs, Tibetans, independent Christians, Falun Gong, and also the way that they're flexing their muscles internationally. That's gonna be a challenge for uh, religious freedom promotion and human rights uh, defense globally. Second challenge will be mass atrocities that involves the recent the designation of genocide that Secretary Pompeo made before leaving, and now Secretary Blinken has a, uh, endorsed um, what the Chinese government is doing there is genocidal towards the Uyghurs. But then nearby in Burma, Myanmar, uh, the army's treatment of Rohingya Muslims is also something that I believe is, has reached genocidal levels, and we should call it as such. The third issue is terrorism. ISIS in Iraq, Syria, also places like Afghanistan targeting Muslims, Christians, and other groups like the Yazidis, and then Boko Haram in Nigeria. The fourth topic would be good old-fashioned state repression, authoritarianism in countries like Saudi Arabia, Eritrea, North Korea, Iran. And then the last category I think will be the toughest. It's what do you do when democracies start uh, becoming problematic environments for religious minorities? And here I'm thinking India, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka where there's been this tilt towards extremism, a shrinking of minority protections that's resulting in serious religious freedom violations. That's gonna be a tough one because governments are responding to voters. And so it's gonna take new strategies and approaches to see success there. You know, you touch on a number of countries, obviously, that, that we recommend uh, as countries of particular concern and on the special watch list that you're well aware of. 
Uh, you work specifically on the Middle East and South and Central Asia in your position uh, focusing on religious minorities when you were at state. Can you tell us where you saw some of the most positive developments uh, during during your time and in, in recent uh, years? Because you know, one of the important things is obviously we want to call out the violations in the areas that you're that you're talking about and that I think you surf has reported on for years. But where have you seen some of the positive developments in this part of the world? And then, you know, also on the other side of that, are there a couple of countries where you've even seen more backsliding uh, yeah. as well? Yeah, great question. Um, for myself, two countries I was involved in that have up arrows, positive trend lines, Uzbekistan and Sudan. And both of those were CPC countries. Both of those have been completely delisted. We saw through aggressive use of the CPC designation, it created leverage, diplomatic leverage, where we could encourage these countries to reform, to change their laws, to let people out of jail, to allow greater religious uh, freedom and, and practice. So their success stories is an example of U.S. engagement through the uh, structure that IRFA created, creating the results that we all want to see around the world. The down arrows, uh, I think India, big concern about how the Modi government's tilting away from the secular foundations of India's um, constitution and structure, attacks uh, on Muslims, uh, problems Christians are facing and others. Nepal nearby is also seeming to catch the same cold from nearby India with a anti-conversion law passed in the last couple of years. And then Algeria, a uh, big down arrow there with the treatment of groups like Amity Muslims and um, uh, converts into Christianity. And, and those are places where I think U.S. involvement can help push these countries back into the positive category where they used to be, but it's going to take work and, and dedicated effort. So yeah, these are. It sounds like some of some similar areas we had uh, up. We had put Algeria for the first time uh, last year on our special watch list. You mentioned, um, and and as you know, I mean, the U.S. has been engaging uh, with a number of these countries, uh, you know, urging some reforms, urging progress. But during your time at state uh, over the five-year period, there were a number of uh, several new uh, multilateral entities that were created? Because I think some of what uh, uh, people argue is that, well, the U.S. can play a role, but shouldn't be the primary actor in pushing these issues. But others say, if not the U.S., then who? Because ultimately, the U.S. needs to be there for, for, for its own values uh, for that reason, but also it's the morally right thing to do and in our national security interest. But can you tell me a little bit about some of these newer entities that you were involved with and uh, such as the uh, informal international contact group for uh, freedom of religion or belief, um, you know, during your tenure, the uh, ministerial started under Secretary Pompeo starting in 18, the first two here in the US and then uh, last year in Poland. But then also the newest create International Religious Freedom or Belief Alliance, uh, that has over 30 countries uh, now participating. Could you tell us a little about these and then tell us how these entities potentially could create more of this collective approach to trying to put pressure on governments to improve their records? Yeah. You know, while we're seeing you know, from the Pew Forum, the statistics are continue to be bad. Uh, close to two thirds of the global community live in countries with high or very high restrictions from government or societal actors. So that's that's a problematic storyline. That's the reality is grim, but at the same time, we should be encouraged because we're seeing 
new networks of governments, parliamentarians and civil society actors coming together to fight for religious freedom for everybody. And this is a first, like a first in human history where we're seeing these forces starting to be marshaled to push back against persecution. So it really started at USURF with the creation of the International Panel of Parliamentarians for Freedom of Religion or Belief, which uh, I was involved in um, and yourself and others and, and launching to bring parliamentarians together from different political persuasions, religious beliefs, different regions around religious freedom for all. And then uh, thanks to our friends up in Canada, they started a, uh, a network of governments. Um, and when I joined the State Department, they invited the United States to co-chair this international contact group for freedom of religion or belief. And the ICG created a, a space where like-minded governments could come together to share information, um, talk about best practices and, and find ways to act as one and to use a collective voice. So we saw the ICG uh, have impact in places like Pakistan, Yemen, um, using our collective voice to advocate for this right. And then, you know, really thanks to Ambassador Brownback challenging us diplomats to find new ways to elevate this effort. The ministerial process um, brought together over a hundred governments and a thousand members of civil society at the last one that was held in Washington. A, a remarkable event, the biggest event ever in State Department history all around this idea of how do we promote religious freedom. And then the Alliance created that inner circle of the most committed countries, countries that fully endorse Article 18 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So freedom to have any faith or none, change faith, meet together for worship, and then trying to bring those countries together at a political level where the ICG had been more at a uh, expert level, the international uh, Freedom of Religion or Belief Alliance was coming at a political level to really uh, take that, that political energy that was found in different capitals, send it downrange and try to improve conditions around the world. Uh, it was, I was asked to try to build it together. Um, it was a, a big challenge, but I was really pleased with the diversity that we had. Now we couldn't invite everybody because not every country that came to the ministerial completely supports the Article 18 definition of religious freedom. So that left some on the side, particularly from the, the Arab world. Um, but we still had a lot of diversity, Christian countries, Muslim countries, Israel, the Jewish country, other non-Muslim countries from the global, sort, global north, global south. Um, and then we're looking for ways to advocate for the persecuted. So I just get going a little further on this uh, newer alliance. It's almost a year old, and now, as you said, over thirty countries trying to get like-minded groups. Um, you know, what are some of the things that it can do collectively? So you, you talk about the contact group having some pressure successfully on on Pakistan and 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 Yemen to 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 have a voice, write some letters. Are there additional tools? Because we're talking about you know. The diplomats here, either the you know special envoys or ambassadors, and and so on. Are there some added tools that this newer entity has? Say that the contact group is an informal type network can use. Uh, is it just the the bully pulpit? Uh, you know, speak their voice, or is there a chance here for those who have better better relations? Say with. Uh, you know, some countries that are having, you know, that are that are uh, having a tough time with religious freedom or repressing, you know, where you say state repression, 
is there are there ways to do that uh, both publicly and privately that uh, that that kind of entity can can make some uh, progress uh, rather than just uh, you know just speaking out um, you know uh, naming and shaming type thing. Yeah. You know, certainly naming and shaming was one of the tools in the toolbox, and it's still a powerful one. Um, but when you're confronting a country like China, that's uh, strong, increasingly. Uh, a player on the global stage, we have to find other ways. And so this is where building this alliance of diverse countries to elevate these issues, we're hoping can convince uh, repressive countries to change their ways through speaking out, but then also using the diverse membership to find new avenues to have impact. So like Brazil is a very active member in the alliance. They have relationships with countries like Iran that the United States clearly does not have. And so we, we spoke with the Brazilians about how can we support your work, your interest in this topic, and use your relationships with Tehran to advocate for Baha'is, for Christians, for uh, Sunni Muslims or other Muslims that have uh, found themselves in jail. They were open to it. And it was a great marriage of the expertise that the United States has with the relationships of Alliance members to try to find innovative entrepreneurial approaches uh, to move the needle in a positive way. Uh, you know, it's only, it's just over a year old, so it's still finding its legs. Um, I think this is, in a certain sense, unprecedented to have countries meet at a political level to talk about these things. So I'm hopeful that the Biden administration will really pick up this, this alliance and run with it. Um, you know, the, we've heard how President Biden wants to bring a multilateral approach to diplomacy. He's re-entering these different agreements and, and uh, networks. And here's a network that's brand new that will align with their approach to foreign policy. So I'm hopeful that they'll adopt it, energize it, and once an ambassador large is in place, really uh, push it forward. And it's a good segue into it's our next question, really, because you mentioned uh, the new administration that's come in, and you recently wrote in Foreign Policy magazine uh, that the persecution of Muslims uh, should be at the top of the Biden administration's agenda. You touched on, you know, one of the premier uh, concerns that, that you surfaced at on the on Uyghur situation back in June, we highlighted that uh, it likely met the genocide criteria. Mm -hmm. And then we very much welcomed the, the uh, determination uh, of the outgoing uh, Trump administration. Um, but could you tell us a little bit more? I mean, obviously the Rohingya uh, and, and others uh, in the Middle East, you know, the majority that get targeted are Muslims. But can you tell us a little bit more about that conclusion you had? And then, and then of course, give us some of your top ideas here for the new administration as, as it's formulating its broader human rights and specifically international religious freedom policy. Uh, you mentioned some priorities earlier in our discussion, but uh, what, would you, uh, what would you think should be uh, at the top of that agenda? Yeah. Um, you know, I th their approach to this work needs to be religious freedom for everybody, freedom of religion or belief, have any faith or none, freedom to change faith, uh, finding ways that the United States can advoc advocate for the rights of conscience, that people can seek truth as their, as their uh, conscience leads them. Um, but in that broad approach and focus on the right, they need to be specific in advocacy. So if Muslims are being persecuted, they should talk about it. If Christians are being persecuted, they should talk about it. Baha'is, Yazidis, atheists, Hindus, whomever, uh, have that specific approach to groups that are suffering because of the beliefs that they hold or don't hold. Uh, the article in Foreign Policy that you mentioned about Muslim persecution 
as I started to reflect on the global environment for, for Muslims and their ability to just simply live out their beliefs as their conscience leads, it's very constrained. And you start with China and Burma committing genocides against people because they are Muslims. Yes, so there are other elements involved, land, ethnicity, but you take away the faith part and I think you'd have a very different situation. And so they are hundreds of thousands of people are suffering because of their faith and facing death because of their, their Muslims. India was the next country where it's the, it's the third largest Muslim country in the world. And this shift word towards Hindu extremism has resulted in lynchings and mob attacks on Muslims with no police protection or very little. Um, and it's new laws could also even disenfranchise Indian Muslims of their citizenship, again, because they're Muslim. And then you look further into Muslim majority countries, there's no freedom of conscience there either. Uh, if, you, if you are okay with the state imposed form of Islam, you're fine. But if you wanna innovate, if you wanna change denominations or even walk away from the faith, there will be a world of hurt coming down on you from the government. So my, my finding was Muslims face greater governmental persecution than any other faith community in the world. And it's ignored. There's no discussion about it. We talk about it in country specific contexts, but as a theme, this is something that I hope will be picked up. But I also said, look, this is not to favor one group over others. We need to be advocating for everybody. We just don't want to leave any groups behind. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that the Biden administration will be very specific in their advocacy. I, I was very encouraged that we that Secretary Blinken was named and, and um, confirmed. I worked with him a little bit when I was in the Obama administration. He cares about these issues. It resonates with him. You heard him talk about how his father-in-law or stepfather was a Holocaust survivor, so he gets it. Um, so there's going to be a friend on the seventh floor for these issues um, who I think when given the chance will speak out. And so I, I'm I think it's incumbent upon them though that they find a great ambassador at large, someone who comes in ready to hit the ground running, who knows the field, who knows the groups, um, and can be that uh, advocate and for the United States and on this issue around the world. Well, we'll have to leave it right uh, here, uh, Knox. Very insightful. Thanks for your reflections and your experiences, uh, putting things in perspective. A lot of uh, interesting insights. Um, and you can find uh, Knox's work at the uh, Institute for Global Engagements uh, website, as well as at USIP, the United States Institute of Peace. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USURF Spotlight. <laughs>